Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Hello, I'm Carl McKeever, and you're listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast. On this episode, we look back at Shop Talk Europe 2022. We'll reflect on what was on show at the three-day event in London, checking in with some of the innovators and leaders who are helping to shape the future of retail. We'll also bring you a flavour of some of the inspiring talks and thoughts presented at the event, from the likes of John Lewis, Pets at Home, Levi Strauss, and much more. All that and more coming up on the Retail Exchange podcast. We kick off our roundup with an interview with Uncrowd co-founder Richard Hammond, who we caught up with away from the main halls. His company offers global retailers and brands a cutting-edge platform to measure performance and customer experience. Naturally, he's well-placed to talk about data and why it is becoming increasingly important to embrace new, more innovative methods of data collection. It's this perspective that Richard shared with us. Now, look, tell me, um, what's caught your eye here at Shop Talk 2022? There's the, the recurring themes that we're seeing throughout shows at the moment of improving data quality, finding better sources for more insightful data, and of course, mass automation of repetitive technical tasks in, in retailing. What's also caught my eye is an absence, which is not a lot of talk of cost of living crises and uh, you know challenges in the marketplaces. There's a, a real sense of optimism, which is, I don't think it's misplaced optimism, actually. I think it's uh, indicative of the opportunity f- to solve our way through tougher times. It's been, been really interesting to see that. There are many challenges for retailers at the moment. It's almost a revolving door of, of things which are finding their way to the top of the pile. How can you help solve some of these things which are weighing heavy on their minds? Yeah, we, we trade in a very uh, valuable commodity, which is relative attractiveness. Uh, understanding whether my offer is relatively more attractive than my competitors' offers. With that, you can actually make a proper comparison against the opportunities. You can say, what am I doing that is putting me behind those experiences that others are offering? What am I doing that puts me ahead? What are we all doing badly that gives me an opportunity to disrupt? And what are we all doing that actually doesn't really affect the customer's attractiveness to orders at all that we could stop doing? Where can we save money? And it's that comparative bit that's really important. If you ask somebody a very simple question, are you tall? Everybody has an instant response to that. We all know. And then you ask somebody, well, how do you know? And they look at you funny and they say, well, because I've compared myself to other people. And yet in customer analytics, we don't do that comparative bit. We might improve our personal best, but if we don't know everybody else's personal best, we cannot make a solid judgment about whether or not our performance is good or not. And that's what we do. I guess one area where the industry would compare, though, and actively compare um, very rigorously, is on price. Yeah. Uh, and, and that perhaps is the greatest example of where they are not just looking at their own belly button. Yeah. Price is a really interesting example because if you just force the easily measurable data into your into your comparison set, so price and availability and brand stocked. You can see most of those things fairly easily, particularly in grocery, lots of great tools that do that. If those are the only levers available to you, they end up being the only levers you use. Mm-hmm. And there's only so far you can go with price. There's only so far you can go with choice. We measure across, in grocery, 60 separate levers and each one of those levers has a number of sub levers beneath it and you build up very quickly pictures that say actually do you know what a combination of of our price competitiveness but also our curation or our handling of, of click and collect or our communication of nutritional benefits whatever it might be to a customer who's trying to do x trying to achieve this mission that's what makes us relatively more attractive. So it's not just looking at value as a price-derived conclusion. It's actually looking at what's all the value-added yeah. things that mean something different to everyone. Yeah, and, and you know, it's that old truth that we all as, 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 as retailers know, is that the value calculation that customers do is much more nuanced than just what's the lowest price. So a, a real example of that would be something around uh, Aldi's laundry brand, for example. So Aldi's laundry brand, Almat, has a 5% share of the UK laundry market, which is astonishing. Well, yes, it's low cost, but it's also very easy to buy. 
Yeah, but the thing they have to fix is the one you want, yeah. you usually have to dig around to the back or find it's out of stock. Yeah. That's, for me, the biggest frustration with shopping at Audi yeah. is the fact that they have mixed carton outers yeah. and typically I have to do all the hard work in hunting it and, down. And I'm really glad you've raised that because that's, again, part of that subtlety that we talk about. The observation part of our data capture is it's entirely objective. There's no subjectivity or opinion in it. It's just, does this exist? If it exists, in what formats does it exist? And how much of each of these things are, are there? So we, we will record exactly that situation that there is a confusion of availability on the carton edge. They have to be tracking me because the amount of displays I wreck in store <laughs> looking for the things I actually want, I must leave a trail of devastation behind me. And you're not alone, yeah. Uh, as, we, as we look ahead for 2023, what do you think are some of those burning shoes? Nerve will need to hold. So all those investments that retailers are still making now, don't lose heart. Uh, if we get to the start of 2023 and people are starting to say, Do you know, what, actually, let's just let's cut out investment, then you can only get worse. But I also think that the accuracy and immediacy and relevancy of data will continue to be a really important thing. What I mean by that is... There's been a race to just add data, to say the word data in board meetings and say, I've got more data than you've got. So that that relevancy of an immediacy, uh, immediacy of the insights, that's going to become more and more important. And that's a really good thing. Thanks so much, Richard. Thanks for being a guest on the Retail Exchange podcast. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Carl. Some listeners will be familiar with Manhattan Associates as they featured on the podcast a few times over the years. They were one of many companies exhibiting at Shop Talk Europe 2022. I sat down with their managing director for UK and Ireland, Craig Summers, to explore his thoughts on what the remainder of 2022 has in store for retail, against a background of what, still, is a landscape of uncertainty and supply chain challenges. Hi, Craig. Hi, Carl. Good to see you. Look, supply chain is one of these things which is being talked about and talked about. You know, the challenges are well documented. But what do you think are the key issues that retail is facing uh, right now? Um, it is an interesting one. And In the last couple of years, supply chain has kind of been on everybody's lips in a way that it never would have done before. But I think we've gone through a great period of uncertainty to a glimmer of hope back to another period of uncertainty. And I think... The hard thing that a lot of retailers are coping with at the moment is making sure the basics are available, worrying about the price of the basics. All of us as consumers are thinking we need the basics. Are we going to buy the things we want to buy but don't need to, which creates a different set of issues. But on top of that, I think the war for talent um, across every level of job vacancy in the UK is impacting the shortage of supply as well. So so teams are stretched. They're kind of almost juggling the priorities that seem to be changing on a daily basis. Do you think people are kind of also kind of a little bit exhausted in terms of almost where do we move next? Oh, it, there is a fatigue for sure, isn't there? Whether it be us as consumers or, or, or myself leading, you know, a software company supplying to retailers or the retailers themselves, there is this fatigue that set in, but the demand is still there. You know, we're all still under inordinate pressure to, to, to deliver. An impossible question I'm going to put to you, um, and I'm going to ask you to do a bit of crystal ball gazing. Mm. Um, how do you think that is going to continue to be a problem for the industry? You're right, it is a difficult question. Um, and if I, if I really knew, you know, perhaps I could bet my retirement on it, but history says... Periods of high inflation happen really quickly and can take many years to deflate, if that's the right word. The worldwide supply chain issues of different food and staples, for instance, grain coming out of Ukraine, as an example, or shipping into the UK post-Brexit, or shipping out of the UK post-Brexit, I, I think we're sitting at least for another 12 months of disruption. So do you think it's reasonable to think that maybe come 2025, we might then start to be able to look at our heads? So another you know, couple of years to kind of get through this gloopy, bumpy period. I, I, I would hope so. But also you have to wonder if we genuinely have to change. I, I've just returned from the USA and was speaking with one of the nation's largest department store operators. Uh, and specifically, we picked up a conversation about Christmas last year. 
How did it work for them? Did they find a way through? E-commerce boomed. Retail stores, which were open, actually were very flat. And actually, it was a bit of a miserable Christmas. How well do you think that retailers in the UK are prepared for the golden quarter this year? It's funny. Is that time of year where we can see the planning? If I look at the projects we do, the big go lies for the warehouses and omnichannel e-commerce, it's always timed after Christmas, of course. Um, so that planning's in place. I think the question becomes how much discretionary spend is going to be available. How many people are going to think, in the words of my late mother-in-law, oh, I'm going to cut back this Christmas. Mm. Is it going to be a Christmas about essentials rather than treats? You have to wonder at the moment. You do have to wonder at the moment. But certainly, as you say, um, we're still not fully out of the woods yet. Plenty to keep retailers busy. Uh, lots to be occupying in their minds. Uh, Craig Summers, Managing Director, UK and Ireland at Manhattan Associates. Thanks once again for being a guest on the Retail Exchange podcast. Thank you, Carl. Over 200 speakers took to the stage at Shop Talk Europe. Department store John Lewis, Director of Customer, Claire Poynton, was one of them. She shared her insights on how the business is adopting a distinctive approach to the reinvention of experiential retail. There's a proportion of customers, we're around a 60-70% digital business, but there were a proportion of customers we actually lost during the pandemic because they love going into retail. So the galvanizing thought for the business and really getting them to connect back into retail experience is to say, we've got to find a reason to bring them back in. And secondly, we have to make sure that we don't lose the digital connection. So one of the things we were really thinking about is, how do you create an experience in your top 10 stores that people want to come and visit? I mean, I absolutely became an expert in emporiums, how you bring all of that experience together. But the key for us to, was to say, joy of shopping also needs to be the joy in the digital and online space as well. So just to put a stat out there for us, we absolutely see in terms of customer lifetime value, our customers are three times more valuable to us if they shop both digitally and online. So we don't see ourselves as you're a store business, you're an online business. The reality is customers experience your brand and they just expect it to be connected. And I think technology is great, but it's got to inspire people to take action. Be very clear on your customer vision and who your customer is. What do they expect and how are you going to show up? Because ultimately, we want to be there for customers when they're interacting with a brand, whether it's on the meta, whether it's in our stores, online, through our app, etc. That's what we want to show up because that's a modern brand. They don't care about our legacy systems. They just expect things to work and connect when they go in store. The buy now, pay later market, feverish before the pandemic, has become even more so over the last couple of years. I caught up with Clearpay's Erin Maguire, who's responsible for enterprise market development, to explore why the honeymoon period for buy now, pay later is far from over, and the steps that are being taken to help retailers support their customers with responsible payment options as the cost of living crisis begins to pinch. How are you finding the market right now for the buy now, pay later model? Look, I think it's a really interesting time and it's really growing as a as a consumer space. I think we were having a quick chat earlier before and really now it's it's got to the point where it's a bad thing now if you're not offering it and making sure that customers have choice. I think allowing them to have choice of payment. Um, I listened to a talk earlier actually that was explaining what convenience means to retailers and what it means to consumers as well. And I, th one of the brands said something really interesting, which was understanding that giving people choice is now convenience. And of course, we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Yeah. Everybody's feeling the pinch. Yeah. Um, so how do you think that the buy now, pay later model can really help people? I think it's really interesting. We were actually born in the last credit crunch in 2008. So Nick Molnar, our founder, started Afterpay, as we're known in Australia. One of the things that we're most proud of at Clearpay is responsible lending and financial wellness. So instead of allowing people to get into revolving debt, we should be seen as a budgeting tool, as allowing people to spend responsibly and within their means as well. And I think one of the things that's you know previously been a concern for consumers, especially those who are using a credit card, mm. um, can be the interest rates and how they can really rack up and cause some additional financial costs that they weren't really planning for. Yeah. But your model is quite different. Yeah, exactly. I think 
everyone has at some point in their life when they were 18 got a credit card and gone oh great I've got three thousand pounds worth of free money and you spend it over three years and that's when the interest rates get you so I think that's one thing that I really like about the clear pay model and uh, the product that we offer is that there isn't a APR side of things so it's literally interest free it's four installments just to allow you to split your payments typically goes over two or three paychecks depending on when in the month you've paid it so that's why it's able to be used as a budgeting tool because you're not going to overspend because you know you have to pay it off you know our key demographic is sort of millennials in their 30s that have done that before so they're very conscious they don't want to do it again and then gen z are just a lot more aware i think and cautious in terms of spending so it's um it's a great product for for those people as well Within the sectors you serve, which areas are showing strongest growth? I think the beauty space ended up really growing very fast for us. You know, the rise of e-commerce beauty brands has been really key. The homeware section is growing as well. That's where we're seeing our biggest growth, I'd say, is in the home space. So is this on impulsing and is it on those big ticket items? No, I think the small items there's so many great brands now where you can get a new coffee table for 100 pounds or you can get all of these great homeware accessories i think that's a really strong focal point for us couple that with the fact that millennials aren't able to buy houses anymore and it's the small bits that you can buy for your house to make a rented property really feel really personal and i think that's why it's being so successful in that space so you're helping them with affordability of course yeah i think allowing people to have saving parts to be able to get to the point where they can buy a house while still making sure that their rented accommodation looks really nice i think is a really great way of looking at a prime example of how clearpay can be successful for people the pandemic famously saw us switching from a society that was reliant on cash mm-hmm. to more electronic forms of payment um, how can a product like yours help people to you know, manage their personal finances in a way which works for them? I think there's a real sort of revolution happening in terms of this space. We were all talking about it today that we're right on the cusp, I think, of this happening. You know, if you're buying a pair of shoes for £100 and you don't want that £100 to come out this month because you've got, you know, other commitments that you need to pay for, but you know you can afford them if you can do £50 this month and £50 next month, then I think that's where it can be really interesting. And then, you know, you pay it off the day you get paid. It's it's come out of your account straight away. There's no looming debt over you. Um, you know, 95% of our people pay back on time or early. So it's something that we're really proud of in allowing people to manage their money that way. Final question. You've spent some time already at the event today. Yeah. What are retailers telling you? Um, what's on their mind? I think everyone, everyone just seems quite excited today, I think. I think this sort of... Art of, art of change and technology is really at the forefront today. I've never, we did the hosted meeting panel and I've never seen so many different options of tech that you can input into your retail business. Um, so I think how you can utilize technology to move forward. There were some great talks about how technology is going to influence convenience, how it's going to inf- influence speed, data capture, you know, new customer acquisition. There's so many things that all of these companies are doing. I think just, yeah, working out how you can grow your business through technology is going to be very, very interesting. Returning back to the stage talks and Howard Sullivan, founder and executive creative director of Your Studio, he shared his take on the importance for retailers and brands to deliver high-touch experiences that truly connect with the new generation of retail customers. The store is a space to connect, to bring human value to life through experience. £6.5 trillion is the value of the retail experience economy by 2025. It's staggering, it's valuable, it's palpable and it's tangible. But what makes an experience connect on a human level, online and in real life, are connected and in parallel more than ever before. And at every one of the nodes along this journey, we have to offer a strong level of experience. It can't dip and it can't wane. If it does, we break the chain and we break the connection between brand and consumer. John Pilkington in the 90s talked about brands moving centre stage to become part of this donut economy where they would help solve the world's problems. We're turning to brands and retail spaces to fill ourselves with all of the things that we missed out on for the past two years. We're looking to brands now. We don't want them to talk at us and talk down to us. We want to be with them as a collective. Nike is a client of ours we're very, very lucky to be working with. Bringing together communities around purpose is what you can see with the trash labs they did. You could bring in garments, trainers, customise things, but more importantly, spend time with your community. And most importantly, this was a member event only. Everything that a rubber band does is what retail needs to do now. 
We have a constellation of different formats that might be smaller, but they're more experimental. We have the offer to use everything in our ecosystem as a test and learn. See this as the hub and spoke model for Web 3.0, where every nuance and neighborhood learning and discovery, just like Nike's Melrose Place offer, brings back data and valuable information for the brand at large. And lastly, retail knows no limits. It has no bounds. We can do it anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Make it purposeful. Think about your collective and arrive with a sentence incomplete for your audience to finish. And think about the boundaryless conversations that you're having through every channel and don't let them wane in any of them. But before you rise to jump up and design your avatar experience, your TikTok retail platform, or your metaverse retail concept, I'd love to finish on a quote by Melinda Gates, which talks about, deep human connection is the value of a meaningful life. It will inspire the most amazing acts of love, generosity, and humanity. Staying with some of the many inspiring talks from retail leaders at Shop Talk Europe 2022, Pets at Home Chief Operating Officer for Retail, David Robinson, presented his thoughts on how technology can transform physical store operations, making the store smarter, more interactive and efficient, and delivering groundbreaking new initiatives to elevate the customer experience. For us, physical stores are really important. But the days of them just being about product, we think, are over. They're a place now to come and consume services. They're a place to collect products. If you measure the NPS of all of our customer journeys, one of the highest customer journeys in NPS terms is click and collect. Now, we know that in the States, curbside pickup is huge. It's not as big in the UK at the moment, but actually we think it's going to grow, uh, and we think it's a real opportunity. It's super convenient. And the one that we're most excited about, and literally we're just rolling out now, is delivered to home. We're actually turning our stores into mini DCs. We've already paid to get the stock into the local catchment. So actually, it's more effective for us to fulfill that last mile from a store than it is from our central warehouse. And what it does for us is two things. One is, again, it's slightly cheaper for a cost to serve. Big tick for us. But for the customer, because the stock's in the catchment, it means it's guaranteed uh, next day delivery. And now we're doing same day delivery as well. The other thing I think is really interesting, we're actually now trialling, rather than using a courier, taking our own van and our own colleague and effectively taking the store to the customer. And we think this blurring of the lines between home and digital and physical state and putting the colleague in the middle of it is really important. And for us, the whole transformation is about creating a pet care eco-structure. We're not worried about a store or a vet practice or online. Actually, ours is about you come and shop with us. We're going to take care of you as a pet owner and you as a pet in your pet in whichever way you can. Look, you've all got your own businesses. You'll all do your own things. There's three takeaways that we've learned that, that may or may not be helpful. The first is controlling the UI and UX has transformed the relationship we have between colleague and customer. The second is it isn't a physical thing, a store thing, and it isn't a digital thing. It's an operational thing. And therefore, getting the technology to work in line with the colleague and in line with the store and changing your operation to make it work, that's the magic that basically means that it's better experience for the customer, better experience for the colleague. And you'll have heard mention colleague quite a lot. Actually, interestingly, in an omni-channel digital world, we think colleagues have a huge part to play. And therefore, the ability for us to utilize them in different ways, because they're the ones who are having the contact with the customers, they're the ones who know best. Many retailers are putting their people at the heart of efficiency improvement drives at the moment. No matter how complex your workforce management needs, AI-powered tools are helping retailers to solve frontline scheduling. One company that is leading the way is Swedish-based Quinix, who were exhibiting at ShopTalk Europe 2022. I sat down with the company's director of partner tech, Andrew Lynch, to explore why better resource planning, workforce utilisation and employee engagement has never been more important. Andrew, welcome. Thank you. So could you start us off by telling us about Quinix? Um, what do you do? Okay, so uh, Quinix, we're a Swedish-based business. Uh, we have a global presence, so we're based in, in the US, in Europe, also in Australia. Um, and our business is workforce management. So our solutions enable customers to plan their workforce, uh, 
to understand how to utilize their workforce and then ultimately to engage with that workforce by actually passing down, for instance, the schedules through our apps um, and then also enable that sort of end uh, deskless worker to also feedback and communicate and engage with uh, headquarters as well. So is this for resource planning or is this uh, looking at other things within the HR mix? It's primarily the resource planning. So we are looking at labor. Um, that's probably the second largest cost for most retailers outside of their, their stock and their stock control. Um, and we're looking at managing that labor and how to utilize it. So for, as an example, we'll forecast or, or understand the, the future expected demand, specifically in around, for instance, the number of transactions or the number of goods received. Um, and then off the back of that, we'll calculate the total number of people that are required to meet that demand. Um, once we've got that kind of information, we'll then look at the schedules, you know, start times, end times, what people should be doing within those schedules as well. Um, and fundamentally, that enables us to concentrate in on one of the key sort of costs or cost bases for most retailers, if you like, uh, and understand whether we can make any savings there fundamentally. So presumably during the pandemic, you would have seen a big switch out in terms of where and how people were being deployed. Absolutely. It's, it's, the pandemic itself has, has completely changed the face of how companies, retailers are, are perceiving their workforce as well. Uh, we talk about the big shift, um, fundamentally looking at sort of the end worker and the power shift that they now have. Um, and that's what our business is all about, trying to understand and help customers, retailers engage with their workforce and give them that flexibility and give them those options. If you were to look ahead and say five years from now, what do you think the landscape would be then in terms of the five-day week? I think fundamentally what we'll probably see in five years' time is people working not necessarily five days and having two days off, but maybe working four days, but working those four days across those seven. So having the flexibility to choose a, a Monday and a Tuesday or a Wednesday and a Thursday instead of just the typical sort of Saturday, Sunday expectation. Um, I also think that if you think about the sort of the demand that that then leads to retail, specifically in stores where, you know, at the moment you'd have big peaks in demand on Saturday and a Sunday when the majority of the workforce is actually off work and able to go and shop, that will then be spread out much more over that sort of that Monday to Sunday so think horizon. we can look forward to a time when you make a, a, an inbound to a call centre or some kind of contact point where you get the familiar out of office or you know our hours are till five o'clock is that essentially going to be a thing of the past i think we're moving in that direction anyway if you look at just generally 24 7 is becoming more and more uh, relevant in the industry uh, especially in retail um, it's also becoming more and more relevant especially in our industry within sort of tech technology we're being asked by our customers more and more can we support a 24 7 seven days a week all the way through uh, follow the sun style um, support nature for our technology and that's because they themselves are thinking of servicing their customers in the exact same way. So how can you help retailers in their forecasting needs? Um, so I'd say what we're primarily trying to help retailers do more than anything is become much more proactive about how they manage their labor. So by being able to give them the ability to facilitate the, the planning on a longer term horizon, as an example, um, and also look at disruptions and plan for those, then they can have a much more proactive um, sort of way of dealing with uh, the problems, issues, challenges that they'll have in the market, specifically with their labor and their labor workforce. So rather than just confronting problems as they arise, is that there are one step ahead of that. Try to be one step ahead of that, absolutely. What are retailers telling you about how their customers are changing? Clearly during the pandemic, more people are shopping at home and online, but of course we're seeing now a return to stores. How is that affecting the, what the retailers want from their planning needs? I think if you look at most retailers, especially those that have done extremely well, um, you know, they've diversified. Uh, and they've seen that there's a need and a want, especially from the end customer, to have multiple different ways of shopping. Um, you know, we, through the pandemic, we went very much from bricks and mortar and in shop to going online. And now we're starting to move in the opposite direction, but we're not moving away from e-commerce either. So there's a different change, a trend, especially if you look at sort of the the facts and the figures around who's using the online. It's not just, you know, younger generations now. It's everyone who has the ability to, to shop online. And because of that, they're having to look at new ways of utilizing and using their resources to be able to fulfill 
that kind of extra demand, whether it be in the store, whether it be online, whether it be a delivery uh, service as well. One of the challenges that retailers seem to have around uh, making their business as frictionless and as easy to use for consumers as possible is about reconciling the kind of differences in populations. You've got a group in head office, a group in stores, and typically maybe a group which are warehouse-based. Mm-hmm. How can a company like yours assist them in terms of almost unifying or smoothing out the different bumps in terms of labour planning? Yeah, each one of them has a different service and a different need. Um, I mean, fundamentally, if you're looking at the head office workers and, and what they need from a, a scheduling solution or system versus the you know the other end of the spectrum, the, the guys that are actually in the store doing the, the shelf stacking, each one of them has a, a different requirement from the schedule itself and the tasks that they'll do within their job. But fundamentally, they still need the same information. They still need to know when they're going to be starting, when they're going to be finishing. Uh, you know, that all needs to be hooked up with the payroll and the HR system. And, and we can manage that across um, those various different departments. If, if there's one thing, Andrew, that you'd like to think that um, will be quite different in a couple of years from now, what would it be? I think it comes back again to that flexibility. It comes back to us learning that, you know, um, the people that we're working with, the people, you know, that we're employing, um, need to have that flexibility. They need to have that work-life balance now. Um, they've had a, a taste of it to a certain extent um, and, and everybody wants more and more of that within their, their daily lives as well. And I, I think that can, that can only be a good thing. Um, I myself am, am, am a big advocate of that as well. Andrew, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Also exhibiting at the event was French-based SES Imotag a global leader in digital price tags and specialist in digital solutions for retail. I spoke to its EVP for Marketing and Communications, Loic Oumier, to explore the latest innovations in electronic shelf edge labelling and whether the technology could finally be set to enjoy mainstream adoption in the UK retail scene. It's been tried many times here, and I think there's been you know plenty of experiments over the years. But you know, electronic price labelling never seems to have really taken off in the UK. Do you have any thoughts about that? And what do we Brits need to do differently to get on board? <laughs> it's getting better. Actually, it's getting better. Uh, we are in a few locations. Um, we are, uh, for instance, in some semi-stations, in spa uh, stores as well, in bigger names that I cannot mention here. But um, it's getting bigger. It took a while. Uh, it took a while, but I think. Um, Where was the resistance? Depends really on the on the uh, let's say on the retailers for for various reasons. Um, the thing with COVID is that it accelerated so many things in terms of innovations in a store. You know, you have now to deliver very fast. Uh, the store can become a pickup location. Uh, price are moving much faster than before. So now there's just a need for technology in the store. There's a need for solutions, um, you know. And um, whether it's us uh, in terms of digital displays, but also the cameras and the software that we provide, or other solutions like grab and go, you know, or other technologies, all retailers are moving fast now to, to so, so you think that the pandemic was, as, as you say, there was no real positive outcomes from that. But if there's anything we can take from it is the fact that perhaps that the culture around innovation in retail has, has accelerated and people are now more prepared to try new things. Yeah, and they have to because um, yeah, COVID brought or like, you know, made retailers change uh, now. In the past or last year, at least in, in some shows, people were saying that uh, COVID has been the chief innovation officer you know, for many retailers in the world, I think that's kind of true. Uh, It's true in the UK, it's true in Europe, in, in the US as well. So, yeah. Thanks very much and enjoy the rest of the event. Thank you so much. Thank you. While automation has been a part of retail supply chains for decades, its prevalence has recently increased significantly. Investment from retailers in this area is poised to fuel significant industry growth, with the market expected to double by 2026. I sat down with Autostore Global Head of Retail, Mike Demko, to learn more. Mike, welcome. Thank you to be here. So could you just uh, give us an overview of the company? What do you do? Yeah, so Autostore is a robotic automation system, right? Uh, Goods-to-person technology, all about trying to improve the productivity of uh, operations, whether they're in retail or other verticals as well. Autostore has been around for 25 years, 1,000 installations across more than 40 countries. So we provide the, you know, the hardware and the software that allows an operation to take an order and then 
execute against that order from a pick and pack and dispatch marshaling dispatch perspective, and as well as provide you know the in, the software and and processes to help replenish the system. So the inbound supply chain piece of that operation is also obviously extremely important. And then inventory control and understanding what I have, when and where and what is available um, is, a, is a part of that as well. And what are some of the particular challenges there, say between the difference of ambient goods or fresh and perishables? Yeah, no, that's a really good uh, question, right? And which is where the software plays a really important role. So Understanding expiration dates as it relates to perishables, um, understanding, uh, you know, a, a first to expire strategy. So, you know, what are the sell by dates for these perishable products? How do I consume those products that have the the, the, the nearest term sell by date before the oldest term? So you got to sell what's first to expire um, uh, and manage that inventory appropriately. Yeah, I got to have the retailer, the tools to understand how much they have, when they need to inspect it. So quality checks are really important too, allowing them to maybe inspect berries on a daily basis. And you but, can automate all of this. Yeah, we can automate all of that in terms of tasks and we can automate that in terms of, to your point, uh, robot presentations of those products. Or, uh, you know, the back to the software helps um, orchestrate some, not everything can fit in automation, right? Think about uh, a large roast that doesn't, you know, uh, you know, the meat that's not cooked, but the, the roast can't fit in the automation. And so, or bulk paper towels or bulk, bulk beverages. So there's some manual things that uh, need to happen around the automation as well. Uh, and so you need software that can orchestrate all of that and, and help the retailer execute against that, yeah. So you guys have been around for a long time. A long and, time. Uh, how easy was it to, you know, sell your message back then when, you know, brick and mortar retailers were very much, you know, uh, thinking in the, the physical space. And, right. you know, they were, uh, they'd grown up on traditional ways of doing things. You know, the warehouse system and the, the culture within was very embedded in, in terms of the way they run their businesses. Yeah. The, look, grocery, you know, in itself and online has been around for 20 years, but uh, it, it hasn't really exploded in terms of demand uh, until recently with the pandemic. Uh, so auto stores history has really not been in grocery. It's been in, you know, industrial applications. So it's it's a, a very flexible solution. It might, it, you know, in fact, the origins of the company go back to a manufacturing company in Norway. We're a Norwegian company. Uh, this manufacturing company, uh, you know, realized they were running out of space in their warehouse. And uh, the head of technology looked at his warehouse and he said, you know, the observation he had was, you know, the greatest, the biggest thing in this warehouse is air. Uh, and so, you know, density and dense storage was the first solution. And so industrials and manufacturing coming out of that company was the first uh, use case of, of the technology. You know, we got into, you know, big systems around e-commerce centralized distribution centers, you know, in more recent years in the past decade. Um, and now grocery has come into the foray and, and again, very scalable solution applicable to, to that vertical as well. So look, I'm I'm very curious about this, and th this might be a, a secret project which you can't tell me anything about. <laughs> but one of the uh, the greatest challenges, surely yet to come, is the automation of replenishment actually in the store itself. Yeah, yeah. Are, are we looking at a future where perhaps all of those colleagues who are unpacking roll cages and opening boxes and you know rotating the shelves and redressing the shelves, you know, are their days numbered? No, I, I think, um, look, I think, you know, automation is all about how to help those people be more effective and efficient in what they're doing. I don't yeah, but we said that about self-checkouts. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, to your point, uh, you know, even as you look at the food space today, right, you know, online grocery is, what, uh, 10 to 15% of the total share of wallet. It could, it will grow to probably 20% to share. So there's still going to be 80% of customers who still want that store experience. Uh, the products on those shelves need to be faced properly. You know, the the berries need to be presented properly. We can't have rotten apples. We can't have, you know, uh, brown bananas. So people are going to still be needed there. Can things like vision-based AI help them understand where to go first? Uh, can automation, to your point, maybe ultimately put product on the shelves? Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, I think people will still be very much a part of this experience on the staff side to help the consumer uh, get what they need. And, and yeah, automation is all about just, to me, making people more efficient. So if we were to look ahead five years from now, what what do you think the, the landscape within automation within the grocery industry specifically what will look like? Yeah, no, I think if we're talking about, you know, 65,000 square foot store, we're going to see that store transform into... 40,000 feet of, of retail space that a consumer can still walk around, 
but a lot of that center store, I think, can be automated. Um, and, and so maybe 20,000 square feet of that 65,000 square foot store now is, is an automation center, but the consumer is leaning into that technology. And uh, they, they can have things delivered to them while, uh, while they consume and enjoy the experience of the fresh food. So that's, to me, I think, where retail transformation and grocery is going, is automation can you know, free up store space to, to provide a more experiential opportunity for consumers. And, and, um, and, and I think yeah. you were seeing this in different yes. sectors. I, uh, I noticed I was in the States just last week. Amazon opened their first clothing store. Right. They have a massive inventory, but actually just only one of every item right. in, exactly. on the rack. Exactly. You go around with your smartphone, you scan it. It's then put into a personalized dressing room for right. you. It, Surely this is equally applicable to grocery shopping too. Exactly. I mean, you know, to 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 that point, we have a we have a non-grocery client in Canada, Decathlon Sports. They are, you know, providing a huge assortment of sporting goods through the auto store system in the store, and they've transformed the store floor into a place to experience and test and play with those sporting equipment, or sit back and you know enjoy a cup of coffee while. You know, uh, so that the family can be doing something while somebody else is engaging with a piece of. So the uh, AI is dealing with the logistical, yeah, the practical, exactly. all the fulfillment side, right. whereas the store space now becomes a play space. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Mike Demko, global head of retail for AutoStore. Thanks so much for dropping by. Again, thank you. Returning to the stages, Claire Velotti, VP of EMEA at Snap, who presented her take on why understanding and satisfying the needs of customers who are demanding more from their in-store shopping experience will be critical to retail success. I find it really fascinating. I'm so passionate about the retail sector overall because I think most of the sector has gone through the most transformation we have seen in any sector. However, there is one part of the industry that amazes me that I don't think has evolved as much, and that's the changing room. If you think about what you've done in retail, you have essentially built what I would say, used the internet to build the world's biggest shopping center. However, along the way, the experience, that changing room, that magic you get when you're in store, has sort of got lost along the way. I also want to acknowledge, and the reason why I'm acknowledging this is because I think this is the time for most transformation when things are tougher. Clearly, there are challenges going on in the world and, of course, that are impacting the retail sector. But I'm a real optimist. I believe in these times is when you have to lean in and transform business because that's when expectations begin to rise amongst customers. I think loyalty is kind of a golden nugget. It's the thing we're all craving and striving for that is harder than ever to deliver. Three in four people during the pandemic switched store product they were buying or the method they were, they were buying it. I think that's fascinating. But with that, for me, becomes opportunity. So it's time now we really have to start understanding those customer needs and really delivering on them. This is the stat that I think becomes really, really interesting. 71% expect companies to deliver personalization. And actually, interestingly, 76% get frustrated if you don't. So this is critical to your success. This is a pivotal moment for physical retail. It's leading to a raft of innovation in new formats, layouts, and the focus on hyper-local connection, as Richard Huron, Global Head of DTC at Levi Strauss & Co, explained during his stage talk. I think the role and purpose of stores for us, it's not fixed. It wasn't before the pandemic, and it won't be after the pandemic, and they're going to constantly evolve. And with the advent of e-com accelerating growth, that's only generated huge amounts of energy for us to think about how we use our stores in the future. When we think about the distribution, it's about reaching our consumers wherever they are. And more recently, it's been about hyper-local connection and making sure we pop up in locations, maybe not prevalent previously, but more informed by work from home, work from anywhere, and certainly they're changing the way the consumer is shopping with us. There is an accelerating trend for more engaging retail experiences. With the spike in e-commerce, the purpose and role of stores is changing, as are the factors that motivate customers to shop in one store versus another. Natalie Stoyevich, SVP for Lego Retail, shared her thoughts on why physical stores remain one of the most important platforms for the discovery of new products in an ever-shifting landscape. At the LEGO Group, we are convinced that the physical stores continue to have a very important role to play. 
Our research shows that despite the growth in e-commerce, uh, physical stores remain one of the most important platforms for the discovery of new products in a fractured media landscape. And that's why, over the past years, we've continued to invest and innovate in retail spaces um, at the LEGO Group. We know that there is an accelerating trend for more engaging retail experiences. And the way we're thinking about that at the LEGO Group is that our physical stores are immersive brand experiences for all our fans of all ages, and specifically for kids. And following extensive research we've done into the needs of the LEGO shoppers, we've learned that they really want to have more branded experiences than the general toy shopper. That means they want to have more opportunities to play with Lego bricks, they want to participate in brick-inspired activities, and they do want to personalize their experience and they want to have fun. And so this insight is at the heart of our new immersive retailtainment concept that we've launched last year and we've rolled out to 70 locations uh, so far. With this new concept, we really want to provide engaging and unforgettable experiences for all our existing and new LEGO fans. And these experiences, where we want to be inspiring creativity, engaging hands-on play, and to also build strong and lasting relationships with our fans. There were many technology companies vying for the attention of retailers at Shop Talk Europe, but few caught the eye like Datamilk. Promising to elevate e-commerce stores to the next level, its CEO, Peter Salenti, explained why tough trading conditions present the perfect opportunity for retailers to win out. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So what brings you to Shop Talk Europe 2022? We're really here to tell our story to our potential customers. So what is your product and what does it do? Um, the product is effectively uh, 17 years of knowledge of working on UX, primarily at Google. A lot of the engineering team and myself have come from Google, and we were optimizing Google.com, so Alphabet's primary property, to, to, uh, to make more revenue for Alphabet by changing the user experience of, of search. Um, and we wanted to democratize this knowledge and bring this to lower enterprise and medium-sized companies that don't have the teams and know-how to do what we did and what we learned at Google for long years to do. So now you're helping companies to improve their visibility and their, their hit rate online. Yeah, yeah. It's basically all about how much money you make per visitor, right? That's the fu fundamental metric that you want to optimize every time. And is this through the SEO or is this through other kind of automation within the coding? It's, uh, it's through optimizing the core experience. And as a result of that, the users, they end up buying at a larger rate. They end up buying more of products within a single journey. Uh, that increases the revenue that the stores make from a single visit. And in turn, it gives these companies more economic power to go out and buy even more advertising to drive even more traffic. Is it about making the websites then more intuitive? It's about the fact that we as users are primarily spending our time in apps like Instagram, TikTok, Google, which have leveraged all of the data that exists within their sites. Uh, to improve the user experience for the next person who comes and visits, right? So effectively what you're saying, hey, I've seen someone who has done something similar on the site before. I know where they're headed. I'm going to ease their way to head there, right? right. So, so clear the path. That's it. That's it. Data Milk, um, tell us about you. How long have you been going? Uh, what are the markets you're serving? You know, where, where are some of your biggest opportunities? Yeah, look, when, when we started uh, two years ago, um, the journey was at first we just signed up some e-commerce companies who took our word for it. Honestly, they <laughs> probably the, the brand of Google helped a little bit, but we didn't actually know what was going to work. And so we went out and we did a lot of just, just heavy lifting, a lot of hard work, probably have run close to 200 different experiments on these partner sites to find the first couple of things that started working. And from there, because we have 
have a very strong background in mathematics and statistics. And we were able to build a system that helps us understand how the users behave and what things move the needle or not. From there, we were able to, to build this business really, really quickly. But it's all on this super strong foundation of knowledge that we've acquired through through many years. So from an educational perspective, what is your background? Because, you know, some of the people we talk to, they're just out-and-out out retailers. Retailers in their blood, that's their thing. You guys are coming from a different place. We're mostly mathematicians and statisticians. And I've got to say for our listeners who are obviously uh, hearing this rather than seeing it, as a team, you seem to have the funkiest jackets in the industry. You know, my maths teacher, I can characterize him as saying, Mr. Smith, grey tweed jacket for probably his entire life. You guys are in the funkiest stuff ever. Thank you, thank you. Uh, the style actually comes from recognition that we're bad at this. And so we bring in help um, to help with the things that we're really bad at because I also grew up surrounded by the same professors and high school teachers as you. Yeah, so you're telling me now that an image consultant has made you over and chosen that jacket for you today. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we actually look at the... You know, we're not doing quantitative analysis on it, but you can tell the difference in the amount of conversations you have in the street as a result of basically this jacket and the other jackets that we're wearing. And so you are a living example of your own work. Yeah, this is how we make decisions in this business. And we want to bring this level of, of effectiveness and mathematics to basically our partners as well. It, it, it Honestly, if... if if you don't look at it that way, then you derail the conversation into frequently philosophical discussions, right? What I like about my work in particular in this company and what I think can be achieved in business much more so than in personal relationships where I'm not the strongest in those things. Uh, but, but in business, you can really talk numbers. And so we bring that level of math and uh, analysis to our customers. Um, and I think they really appreciate that. They appreciate knowing exactly what they're getting. And so as a partnership, you can move together and believing that there is a single metric that decides the success of that partnership. And that really does set us apart from the market at large. Um, so it's more of a kind of a, an evolutionary process, really, rather than a point-to-point you know, -point do this and you'll get that. Yes, yeah. You're out on the floor talking to customers. What are some of the things that are occupying their minds right now? Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is going to be a hard year for everyone. You know, it's uh, difficult to put it in any other way. From a revenue perspective, for those that haven't seen these cycles before, um, these next year and a half might be quite difficult. But the truth is that these types of situations just mean that your competitors are going to thin out, you know? So this is when you win, you know? Um, this is one thing we talk about with my partner quite a bit, how people frequently sort of steer away from, from the actual problem that they're in towards sort of some derivative of the problem. And it's like the classic question of, you know, you ask someone what you need and they say, I need a job. Nobody actually needs a job. They need money, right? Uh, but they're not focused on earning money. They're focused on solving the thing that they think will drive the money. Uh, and so... To some extent, you know, if I can advise folks a little bit, it's like stay focused on the money. <laughs> the purpose of your company is not to do stuff for the sake that will later generate money. We've seen that play out in Silicon Valley quite well. That it just doesn't work. It really is to generate extra profit. And so if you go to the first objective and you stay creative on, on, on focusing on the money, uh, that's going to get you through this hard time. And then eventually when you come out two years later, a year and a half later, you're going to be flying higher than you, you could have imagined. Peter, thank you very much indeed. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you. And something that demonstrates to me that maths can indeed be creative and also a little bit funky. Thank you so much. Appreciate the time. Sustainability is a key topic of the moment for retailers in all sectors. Austrian-based Inoco was at Shop Talk Europe to showcase its mobile app, designed to help their customers be more informed about the environmental impact of their purchases. Inoco co-founder and CEO Marcus Linder joined me to tell all. Marcus, welcome. Super excited to be here. What have you heard uh, on the floor? What have you seen that's excited you? 
It was really super exciting to connect with uh, lots of uh, retail executives, FMCG uh, executives, and really hear and feel uh, from them that sustainability is on top of the agenda, that every one of them uh, understands that it's uh, an absolute must from the business perspective. We see that companies are getting under massive pressure because not only uh, for regulators, so we, for example, expect that the European Commission is going to introduce um, rules that will force grocery retailers to reduce their carbon emissions per euro revenue year over year. Um, we see that employees are putting massive pressure on these organizations because um, lots of young people, uh, educated uh, experts, want to work for a company and want to be part of a company that is part of the solution instead of being part of the problem. So do you think we're sort of at a, a tipping point now where, yeah. uh, whereas, you know, perhaps it's been talked about before but not taken too seriously, Absolutely. now people are really getting on board? Absolutely. That's really what we're seeing out there at the moment. And um, lots of companies are still in that phase of, hey, we talk about it and are on that point of understanding that now you really must act because unless they act now, they won't have a chance to compete in the market because, um, yeah, it's going to be very hard for those companies. I mean, we are driving this uh, change process by putting more transparency into the market and by really showing consumers uh, at the supermarket what, you know, what, what is within the product and how sustainable are those products really. Um, and it's really exciting to see on the one end, you know, some of these producers being shocked and realizing, oh my gosh, um, either way, whether I provide data or not, they are going to um, communicate to consumers things about my products that actually don't want to be out there. So now it's time to act and clean up my supply chain, uh, but also to see positive reactions and see, hey, wow, finally I have... Uh, like um, a strong, strong reason, commercial reason to also convey this transition process they're already in within the company and, and, and to show that it's a must to act now. I think one of the things that's you know, pretty obvious within uh, the explosion of technology in recent years for, for retailers in particular is we have this, this massive amount of data that everybody is now collecting. Data here, data there, data everywhere. But of course, you know, Data in itself is no good unless you draw insights from it. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges, especially with regards to what Inoco can do and how mm. it can help retailers mm. to take insights from the data that it has about its products? What I'm hearing a lot uh, in, in the presentations here is uh, personalization, especially in the grocery space. So grocery retailers are understanding that it's no longer enough to just offer the right products for the right price at the right location at the right time, but that they need to take over a broader role in that set of needs that we consumers have when we think about food. We don't think about, I need to buy this and that product. We think about, I want to nurture myself in a healthy and sustainable and convenient and affordable way. And um, data about consumers, like you know their allergies, their health concerns, their um, environmental uh, wants and needs and values can really help um, retailers, grocery retailers, to personalize that experience. Uh, we are empowering use cases such as you walking into a store, uh, scanning one product at the shelf, and you see electronic shelf labels indicating with green color which product is suitable for you based on your um, you know, sustainability choices, your uh, allergens, your health concerns. So retailers can really uh, leverage the data they have about you as a customer to offer you a more personalized experience and make it easier and more convenient for you to identify those products, uh, but also those uh, recipes uh, that, that are really relevant for you and interesting for you. Many thanks. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Staying with grocery, it is becoming increasingly challenging for FMCG brands to navigate the fast-growing e-commerce channel. SaaS solutions provider eStore Media aims to help product manufacturers to dominate the digital marketplace. Eastall Media's Head of Insights, Shazia Amin, joined me to share her take on the key trends impacting e-commerce strategy and to discuss the challenges and opportunities that brands will face as we prepare for Prime Day 2022. Welcome. Thank you for having me. You work 
a great deal in the grocery e-commerce space. What are the trends that you're seeing which are driving e-commerce growth right now? And specifically, how customers are using search as a tool? Well, it's a really interesting um, area to be in, I must say. I mean, it's something that's constantly changing. You know, what, what I learned a few months ago is probably not relevant for today. When we're talking about FMCG and search in, in particular, what we're noticing, especially within the current situation, you know, with, with, with war going on, there's inflation, um, we're seeing a lot more private labels being introduced into the retailer space. And we, I've just learned today about, you know, these quick commerce also adding in private label as a way of, you know, sort of covering up for their margins Um, but essentially it's about you know making sure that you're in search right it's all about search if you're not in the top three spots there's not really a lot you can do to kind of get that conversion or get that shopper Um, and I think what what what's important is making sure that you're doing the basics and you're doing them well understanding what search is about sometimes it's you know a pay-to-play strategy making sure that you know that you're aware of the the impact and the uplift of having certain strategies in place to make sure that you are visible in search um, and, and on a regular basis so Search is probably one of the the most important fundamentals that we have online and in, in, in understanding, you know, your visibility as a brand. But it's also important to make sure that, that the shoppers understand where they can find the product as well, right? So being able to, um, let's say, identify the shopper language of, of, you know, how shoppers are searching for your product right. and making sure that you're relevant and, and that you're there. So this is where how you describe a product or the exactly. photography that you use. Yeah. Um, making that as clear as possible and as relevant to what people are thinking about. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, thinking about product titles, you know, am I referring to my product the same way that the shoppers are actually calling my product? You know, sometimes uh, you will notice that there's a lot of brand speak that that you might, uh, that might be appearing in product titles, you know, where companies have invested heavily in these innovative solutions of, you know, I don't know, let's say, keeping my salad fresher if it's, a, if it's a, or some, some kind of white goods. Um, but essentially, it comes down to making sure that the you know that the product does what it does so making it extremely clear and understandable so that when the shopper is looking for that product that, that your product turns up in the and, and keeping it simple i guess exactly yeah keeping it simple is, is always a good one um and search is one of those things which you mentioned um you know if you're not in the top three then you know you you're really going to find visibility increasingly difficult but of course getting to the top three is increasingly controlled by uh, a few gate holders to to what extent are they helping brands at this time or are they still going on as if they're business as usual so it is business as usual. So it's it's typically a pay-to-play game. Um, we, we And we notice it as well. It will be, if you're a small player on Amazon, you're going to be, you know, and you're going to be up against, let's say, the, you know, the Goliaths of the category. It's going to be very difficult for you to kind of get that momentum in the top three, let's say, on Amazon or in, in other retailers. Uh, but essentially, it's about winning a niche. So that's one of the strategies that you can actually play into to your advantage, where, you know, uh, let's say the bigger players will be focusing on winning sort of more generic search terms. So, so if say. I'm a small specialist producer with yeah. something... Play to is... your strengths, that's what I would say. Right. Play to your strengths. So if you're a, a niche category, focus on winning the niche category. You know, there's no point entering into a black hole of, let's say, crisps, right? Or if I'm going to slug it out, don't do it over baked beans. Exactly. Yeah, right. So really focus on, you know, what is your, what is your strength? So if you're a a small, let's say, vegan ice cream or, you know, a gluten-free product, play to your strengths of that category rather than trying to enter, let's say, you know, the more generic category where it's going to be more expensive for you to to get the the cost per click or or to kind of pay for the advertising and and focus on the small wins at the beginning. And to what extent can social media there um, play a part in helping you to gain that, you know, higher organic position? So we're seeing um, a lot of trends right now in, in various categories, beauty, fashion being being, being extremely popular with uh, you know, live streaming, there's, there's the, you know, you've got the Instagram, TikTok, and there's a lot of, you know, the, the there's a lot of, uh, let's say, links to the landing pages, but just making it seamless for the shopper to be able to actually complete that sale, I think, is one of the the most important things for, for, for brands as well at this time. So, so actually not skipping a beat in terms of visibility. Yeah, but but making sure that it's, you know, seamless that every, wherever your shopper finds your product, make sure that it's easy for them to actually complete the transaction as well. Because what happens is, uh, let's say if you want to buy a bottle of beer and then you, you, you've seen it 
said, on a, on an ad campaign, you click on the link and then it's actually, you can't actually complete the transaction because you now have to pay, uh, you know, let's say an extra three pounds to get it delivered. Well, actually, you know, that's not really the, the, the shopper experience that you wanted. You wanted that bottle. You don't want to have to spend or increase your, your basket spend to get that product. So, so these are the kind of things that retailers as well as brands need to be, need to be uh, aware of when they're launching on these sort of like ads and, and on TikToks and Instagram. Listen, looking ahead to Prime Day 2022, um, what do you think are going to be some of the biggest challenges for brands this year? So the biggest challenges this year, if we have a look at the current uh, situation around us, you know, we've got the war, there's inflation. I think these these two uh, factors are going to be the, the biggest, um, let's say, challenges for brands and for retailers it, alike. Is that on suppressing consumer psychology? Uh, it's more about being able to, it's more about fulfillment and assortment. So, okay. you know, making sure so that... So it's not just the emotions around purchase, yeah, it's yeah. The, the practicalities. It's exactly, yeah. So so we know that there's a supply chain issue going on. Um, but if we're thinking about, you know, inflation as well, you know, I mean, in the UK alone, we've got 9%. So, you know, margins are squeezed, shoppers are squeezed. Uh, that's going to be something that's going to be impacting the consumer pocket as well as for the retailers. So when we're looking at Prime Day, it's about making sure that, you know, if you're not able to offer the discounts that that we're normally uh, accustomed to, you know, within these periods, it's about thinking about what else can you offer as a brand without having to kind of eat away at your margins and your profitability. It's about looking at Amazon exclusives, variations, you know, offering up value rather than, um, let's say, pricing deals. So as a, as a guru in this space, what are your top tips for Prime Day 2022 pricing and promotional strategies? So um, given the current uh, climate, I would say probably pricing and promotions will probably have to be adapted to today's environment with margins and profitability, you know, being squeezed, the shopper being squeezed. It's about, I think, offering value. So, you know, trying to avoid giving a discount if you can. How about offering, you know, maybe like a, a bundle or an exclusive product that, that's available on Amazon? Amazon. Um, and the, the the good thing about offering bundles is that, you know, you're giving a good price to the shopper, good value, and as well as you're also able to control your, your pricing as well on Amazon as well. So that will kind of tick the box when it comes to margins on, on Amazon and being able to control the pricing. But essentially, Amazon being customer-centric, offer the cus- customer a good deal in terms of value, and you're going to be offering the shopper something different. Listen, it's been a delight to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Um, Shazia, I mean, Head of Insights at Eastore Media. Thank Thanks you for so having much. me. Thanks. And that's all we have time for on this episode. Be sure to stay tuned for new episodes of the interview series recorded at Shop Talk Europe 2022, when I'll be joined by guests including UG VP of Global Marketing, Carol Diara, Daniel Lund, founder of the Swedish AI-driven grocery retailer, Lifts as well as an exclusive interview with Hanny Weiss, Chief Executive Officer of Majid Al-Fatim Retail. If you'd like to check out more highlights from Shop Talk Europe 2022 or watch some of the main stage sessions on demand, visit shoptalkeurope.com. But for now, from me, Carl McKeever, and this event review episode from Shop Talk Europe 2022, it's goodbye. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag retailexchange.